Would you stand with me in the honor and the reading of God's word? Tonight we're reading in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So ought husbands also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. And all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. So this is God's message for us tonight. It's the word that we want to, to read and to understand. If you guys think back just a couple of weeks ago, we actually referenced and came into Ephesians 5 just a little bit in Sunday morning as we studied in 1 Peter. Because 1 Peter brought us to this same idea. Wives, submit to your husbands. And so we spent a lot of time talking about it that day. And so I'm not going to emphasize that part of the text. We're going to get more into the husbands love your wives tonight. But before we do, there are some things I want to talk about. Namely, as we think about the, the letter to the Ephesians as a whole, there's been a few things that have been brought up over and over again. In Ephesians chapter 1, we see that Christ is head of the church. All things have been put in subjection under him. He's the head. We see that again, and we see this idea of the mystery of Christ being taught throughout the, the letter. In chapter 3, we studied the mystery of Christ. And you know what the mystery of Christ was, what had been revealed? That out between Jew and Gentile alike were now being brought together under one gospel and being created into one people with Christ as the head, just one church, one body, one faith. And so all of that was this great mystery that had been revealed so no matter your heritage, you're saved through the same gospel. You're made into just one body, one church. Throughout chapters 4 and 5, we saw Paul's teachings on how are we to act and live within the body. And this passage today really is no different. I want you to consider this. In the church, we're just one body. Christ is head of the church. We submit to him as our authority. He, in turn, loves us, provides for us, helps us grow in holiness, and he even sacrificed himself. For us, He then asked that we be subject to one another as well, and we can do that. We can be subject to one another. I can be subject to Jamie. I can consider Jamie's needs before my own and put him before myself because Christ has asked me to do it. And because he's already given me the example of him doing it for me. And now he is head of all things, and all of us are to submit to one another, to lay down our rights and give deference to one another. We can consider others as better than ourselves. We can consider 
their needs and interests above our own because Jesus did it. So in this text, Paul is using an example now of marriage. He's going to get into some specifics about marriage and then children's relationships with their parents and then parents and then slaves with their masters. uh, Some people refer to the section as the household code. He begins to tell us how these relationships are supposed to work, and he gives us commentary on what this looks like in a Christian marriage, in a Christian family. So to help us understand this, so that this mystery, we get to see the image of a marriage and see that combined with the mystery of Christ reigning and ruling over the church. You know, in Ephesians 4, it says he's the head of the body, that all of us are growing up into him and that he nourishes the body. He causes it to grow. And then we find, as we get into Ephesians, that it's suddenly saying, well, the husband is the head of the wife. And so we have to understand what in the world does this mean. But before we do, I'm, I'm by the way, because we just went through First Peter, I'm going to go off the notes a good bit tonight. And so we're going to just kind of move around and say a few things. And so that's a dangerous situation sometimes, but I think we're fine. And so here's what I want to say to you. Go look at Ephesians chapter 5. And look at verse 21. Notice, in, at least in my translation, it begins in the middle of a sentence. So it's right in the middle of a sentence. It says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So as he wraps up the last section of how we ought to behave with one another, he says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Now, here's why I point that out. When you get to verse 22, it says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. In my version, that be subject is in italics. You know why that is? Because it's not there in the Greek. It's been supplied so that we understand that that's what it's supposed to mean, but it's not there. You know where that be subject is? Back in verse 21. And so, in other words, there's this reference that says, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, wives, to your husbands. That's actually literally what it says, okay? Now, why do I point that out? I'm, I'll give you my viewpoint on the relationship between men and women. I'm a complementarian. Now, what that means is I believe from creation that God created people, male and female, by design, by purpose, okay? It was on purpose. And when he did that, there are certain differences. Adam was the head of Eve. And we, he goes back, the scripture refers to this over and over again. And so I think that, there's, that that is there. Now, were they both made in the image of God? Yes. So that means that men and women are identical when it comes to value and worth before the Lord. But do they have differing roles within the marriage? I believe that that is the case according to the scripture. And so that's why they call this complementarianism because they complement one another in other words adam was created and eve was created to be his helpmate his complement that together they were to be about the mission that god had given them now that's my viewpoint and i've read a lot of literature on this by the way let me before i get into that let me offer you the opposite viewpoint okay it's called egalitarianism this is a common viewpoint today. Egalitarianism is a very common viewpoint of our culture at large. But what it says is that men and women are not just created equal in the image of God, not just of value and worth, but there are no distinctions at all whatsoever in the Scripture. 
Now, there's some areas where I agree with them on. For instance, in the gospel. Doesn't Galatians tell us there is no male or female, there is no slave or free, there is no, there is no Greek or Jew in the gospel? When it comes to salvation, we're all in the same boat, right? Nevertheless, there are still distinctions made as we read through the scripture. And so I hold that I'm not egalitarian. I, I think that there are some things, some offices. For instance, this morning we talked about the elders of the church. And so we get in the same idea. Well, we begin to ask, well, is it okay for women to be elders in the church? And so that's, that's a, a discussion for another day. In other words, can a woman be a pastor of a church? That's been a hot topic for uh, quite a while in the U.S., hasn't it? We've had denominations virtually split over that idea. And that's a topic for another day. But I will just tell you this as a complementarian. I do think that as he put us together, especially we see in marriage, that we see that the husband is the head of the wife. And that what that means is they are to be together and they are now have one purpose, one mission. Uh, let me give you another example of that before we jump back into this. Christ created one body, the church, right? And as the church, he made himself the head. Now we have this image. Well, guess what? In the husband and wife relationship in marriage, two become one flesh. The two become one, right? They are joined together. Now, as this new organism, as this new one flesh, if they have two heads, how's that going to work out for them? You know, you got you got one going, the one organism going, you know, one head going this way and one going this way, and it's just not going to work out real well. They've got to get on the same page. And what we find is that the responsibility and the accountability in the end falls on the husband. And here's why I say that. Who sinned first in the Garden of Eden? All right, I heard an Eve, right? So she was, she listened to to the serpent, she ate the fruit, she said, Adam, this is, this is good, and he ate it, right? Who is held accountable for the fall and sin entering the world? Adam, right? And yes, they both get the punishment, and they both get the fall, but what we find in Romans is that sin entered the world through one man, because he was the head of the wife. And in the end, he was the one held accountable for it. It's the same way here. Now, were they on the same mission? Was Adam, like, domineering and ruling over his wife? That's not the picture we get in the text, but that's how the culture at large sees this text. And I want to say that that is not the case. And we talked about that last time. But back to verse 21, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Is that command, I'll ask you this, is that command just for husband and wife, be subject to one another? Talking to everybody, right? What does it mean to be subject to one another? Somebody tell me. To be accountable to one another? Okay. Maybe give up some of your rights, put their, their needs in front of your own. What was that? Respect them. Yeah. Here it just commands, in a minute, it's gonna, the wife it commands her to respect her husband. Is that a command that just applies to wives? Or does that really apply to all of us, right? But particularly, he's having to say, give particular instructions within the marriage. She needs to respect her husband. And what is the man told to do to the wife? Love her, right? 
Now, is the command to love someone unique to a husband and wife? Listen to, listen to John 13. This is John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. In other words, Christ says, hey, as I've loved you, you love one another. So now we get to Ephesians. He's telling the husband, hey, as Christ has loved you, love your wife. And here's, I get back to this mutual let's submit to one another. Is there any area of a life where a husband is to submit to his wife? Some people will point out, and I'm again, I'm a complementarian, so I've gone and read a lot of their literature over the years, a lot of their theologians, and you know what I found? Sometimes they push it too far. And they will tell you there's never a command in the Scripture for a husband to submit to his wife. And they're right from a sh- sh- just a pure grammatical standpoint. When, when he's giving the directions in the marriage. But what about before that when he said to all of them, submit to one another in the fear of Christ? Is that not, like, if you have a, uh, for, I'll just call somebody, all right, Miss Diane's here, right? And she's my sister in Christ. And I'm supposed to submit to her in the fear of Christ, right? Does that not apply to my wife? When it comes to her value and how I treat her, and how I love her, and how I consider her, and how I put her interests above my own, isn't that something that we are supposed to all do together? And so it's not even, in that sense, does a husband submit to his wife? I would say that he does. Now, there's people that get real up in arms about this because they see that, well, if you go down that, there's a slippery slope. Well, now uh, we begin to take away headship, and that's not what I'm saying. This text still teaches Christ that the husband is head of the wife. He's the head of the family. He's the one ultimately to be held accountable. And so there are some decisions in life where, guess what? He has the responsibility to lead, and the wife has the responsibility to follow. That is in the text. But the people that want to abuse this idea, what do they say? Well, I mean, you guys know, like in Alabama, I think it was in Alabama, there was a law that said you could beat your wife on Sunday on the courthouse steps. Look it up. There's some weird laws that have been in this country which tell you some weird things. You know, there's rules about uh, slaves and wives that when you beat people, telling you how thick the stick could be that you hit them with. So here's what I want to tell you. If you think as a husband that your wife submitting to you means she has to do whatever you say whenever you want, that's not what we find in the text, is it? But I'm talking about when it comes to leading your family, you're right, you have a responsibility to lead your family. And that's clear in the text. So let's, let's get back into it. Verse 22, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. In verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church 
and gave himself up for her. How did Christ love the church? Somebody tell me. What did he do? He what? He, yeah, he gave his life. Was it a nice death? No. Was it for like a, this really pure church? Just for a bunch of great, fantastic saints? It wasn't, was it? It was for me. Right? And he knew I'd be rotten to the core and he'd have to die on that cross to save me. And so we see a picture of a, here's a Christ, here's a God who was perfect. Was able to say, you know what, I'll die for him. Was willing to die for me. That's how a husband should view his wife. That I'm going to put myself, I'm going to put their needs and their protection and their good above my own. Love is a commitment to do what's best for someone. To seek God's will for them and not just to live for your own pleasure. How many times have we seen this relationship abused, right? Where it's, I mean, I've often heard it said, and often even the egalitarian view and the feminist view of this would say, you know what, if husbands would do that, it wouldn't be a big problem. And that's probably some truth to that, isn't there? If the husband would be the head of the family and take responsibility, if the husband would love his wife like Christ loved the church and give himself up for her, then maybe... Maybe it wouldn't be so hard for the wife to respect her husband, like it says here in the text. And so I think we have to be very careful with that. Again, I want to point this out. John 15, chapter, 12, or chapter 15, 12 and 13 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? So what then are you supposed to do for your wife? Husbands, be willing to lay down your life. Now, it'd be easy. I think, honestly, I think it's easier if somebody just said, well, you got to die right now for your wife than to die to yourself every day for her good. The living is the hard part, isn't it? To being faithful over the years and the moments. I was picking on um, Isabel and Shane a little bit. Well, they've only been married about a year, right? So they probably haven't even had an argument yet, you know? Just kidding, guys. But you know what I mean? Like, it's hard over time because you have to die to yourself daily. Didn't Christ say you have to take up your cross daily? Didn't he tell us that? Well, isn't it the same in marriage? Uh, so I just wanted to take a, a very simple look at this today. Uh, but you see the purpose that Christ did this in verse 23? Sorry, not verse 23. Uh, look down at verse 26, why did he do all this? That he might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Listen, husbands, you don't, you don't do the atonement for your wife. Okay, that picture doesn't match up 100%. But here's what you should be doing, seeking her holiness and her purity, leading perhaps, in the study of the Scripture in your home, leading your family in prayer. and Hey, how many of you are perfect at that, husbands? Not me. There's times where I'm pretty good at it and times where I'm not. And uh, there's times where I know that I could do a better job with it, right? And we all could. And so we have to continue to look at this. Well, my desire for my wife should be her holiness. 
and her purity and her ability to live in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 28, husbands also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. We had a conversation at lunch about who was going to the Y to work out, right? And I think uh, Shane's a member, and Daniel said, well, if, you know, people are going, I might join back up, and I'll go. And, and how many of you ever worked out with lifted weights or did something to try to get yourself healthy, right? Maybe you joined a gym. When I was a younger, right, coming out of high school, we did it all the time. And you know what I don't remember? Mirrors. I mean, we were just doing football stuff, and, and we were working out. You didn't, there was a coach yelling at you, so you didn't have time to look in the mirror, think, oh, I look good, you know? And I didn't work out. I took a, a long break, and then we got in Turkey and decided, you know what, I'm going to join a gym. And I got to that gym, and there were mirrors everywhere. And I thought, well, this is different. This is different than I remember. And there was one guy. And to this day, I still see his post on Facebook. And I called him the selfie king. And I told him that. I said, listen, I've never seen anyone take more pictures of themselves. He was going to take care of his body, right? He wanted it to be the best it could be. And you, I mean, you could see him every day. I could show you pictures on my phone right now because I know he's over there in the Sparta Turkey right now looking in a mirror. I know he is. Here's my point. Who wants to harm their body? Don't you want to take care of yourself for the most part? That's how we're supposed to care for our wives. And if we'll do vain things like go to the gym, and listen, there's some things at the gym that are just good for health, and there's other things that really is just vanity, right? It's just I want to make myself look nice. Well, if we'll take care of our bodies in that way, Shouldn't we take care of our wives even more? Put the effort in. Can you imagine how, how many hours people spend working out? I mean, I, I'll speak for myself. When I first start working out, I go twice a week. Well, you know, 45 minutes, maybe an hour. The longer I work out, suddenly it's three days a week. And the workouts get a little longer. And maybe, you know, I could add a fourth day in. Because there's something addicting about the, the endorphins and all the things that you get. The exercise makes you feel good, and so you continue to go. How much better, though, if we spent that same time thinking about the good of our wife, how we could love them. Now, I did something before. I, I went and talked to a few women in the church beforehand and asked if they could think through, have you ever thought of a time, can you think of a time where your husband has loved you sacrificially, given up something for himself to love you. And I don't know if I'm going to get any comments, but ladies, if you want to brag on your husband a little bit, this might be a good time to do that. Everybody's looking around a little awkwardly. Anybody? I know some of your husbands. They're good men. Nobody? All right, we got one. You want a microphone?
So this is how Tank won over Miss Susan, okay? So did you, could you guys hear her in the back? I know a few couldn't. So she, the first time they went to visit his parents, she spilled a bowl of macaroni all in her lap. Just a, little, just a little bit. I thought she said a bowl of macaroni. Well, this story was better. It, it was a bowl of macaroni. And he just slid over the napkin, right, to dump that bowl of macaroni in. Yeah, I just did it all under the table. Didn't want to embarrass her. You know, just something simple, right? Anything else? We got another story? All right, we got one in the back. Sorry, Freddie. He got a special car one year. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Anybody else? I, I see da David's pointing at Isabel right there, so. Wait, can you t say that again? Oh, so he joined the, the Nutcracker play uh, ballet for, uh, for his wife. Well, that's something. Is that on video? Oh, th he did it three times. He was willing to do this for her. All right, so we'll get a video loaded up for you guys next week of Shane performing in the Nutcracker. He's not wearing tights, is he? Oh, well, good. Okay, we can show that video then. <laughs> Anybody else? <coughs> Miss Diane, I know you got one. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we also have picture proof of that. <laughs> okay. Listen, I just want to encourage you men and, and myself to, to think about how we can love our wives and to remember that this never, this never really ends, right? It's always a constant, let's die to ourselves to serve Christ. He's the head and he's given us the perfect example. He's told us, I want you to love your wives in this way. I want you to take care of them. And next week we're going to look at uh, children and talk about some of that. And so we're going to continue this discussion about family. But tonight this is just what I wanted to, to talk about. And 
Do I have any, we have any comments or questions or other stories before we pray and get to the invitation? If you can't hear Bobby, he said he, he just wanted to brag on Miss Diane a little bit and say that her, her alarm goes off at 530 and she's up and she's reading the Bible and she's praying for him and uh, then made a joke about his kids would have turned out a lot worse if she hadn't been doing that. So, okay. Anything else tonight? Well, this, this time of invitation is a time maybe to kind of reset and think, well, how am I doing loving my wife? And if you're a wife, how are you doing in, in helping him lead the family? Are you encouraging him? Are you respecting him? And so it's just a place, this is a time for us to go to the Lord and pray and ask him to continue to help us in our marriages. It's not always easy, but it's always worth it. It's a blessing to us. Let's pray. Father, tonight as we uh, sing this hymn of invitation, Father, I thank you for the word that you've given us. And I, Father, I we're humbled by the, as men, we are humbled by this call to love our wives as you have loved the church. Father, I pray that you would help me to not be selfish and for the other men here to have that same uh, mentality, to not put self and our own self-interest above the interests of our wives. Help us to lead and lead well, but Father, I also do pray that you would help us to give ourselves for the good of our wives. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.